I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You've got to open your heart. Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. What is leadership like in today's football world? All right, let's talk some Philadelphia 76ers. We're going to get right into it. Dave Murphy, Philadelphia Daily News and Inquirer columnist, joined by fellow Inquirer and Daily News columnist, Michael Sielski. Mike. It's like, with, it's like with the same person. Say hello to the good people of the world. Hello, good people of the world. And most. And say, say it again, because I think your mic might have cut out. <laughs> hello, good people hey, of hey. the world. And Murph. It is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Wednesday afternoon. Um, in Center City, Philadelphia, and Mike and I have just returned from Barbuzo, where it was a good meal, right? The, the Sixers held their, I believe it's the fourth annual, Brett Brown Meet with the Media Luncheon, and as all you bloggers and Twitter followers out there love to point out, they fed us. Uh, they took us to a terrific restaurant and made Brett and General Manager Brian Colangelo available to us, and uh, we had an hour-and-a-half-long sit-down with them. I can only assume that we will be re- reimbursing the Sixers for our um, ethic. So, so we do not have an eth- ethically questionable lunch. If we did that, we would wipe out our entire Sixers travel <laughs> budget for the 2017-2018 season, I think. All right, so Brett Brown spoke for probably 90 minutes. I think it was about 88. Yeah, between the two of them, it was about 90 minutes. On my digital sports recorder or my digital voice <laughs> recorder uh brian let's let's get to the news first yes um there is no news which is news with regards to joel Embiid. he's still not playing five on five yeah um he played in three on three on tuesday yesterday yeah so maybe you can provide a better summary of the back and forth um brett brown brian colangelo showed up um, apparently unaware that they were going to be asked to lay out a timeline yeah. for Joel. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. They, I, they I don't the know. Qu- I don't know how to make sense out of what. what. No, I don't either. I, I, it was. I don't think. Uh, not distressing so much as puzzling. In that they really, you would have thought, given the entire off season, they would have had a better answer. Even if the answer, even if what's actually happening is murky. Right that you would think that they would have had a better answer for whether Joel Embiid is ready to play, will be ready to play. You know, Brian Colangelo kept emphasizing today um, that their goal is to make sure that Embiid can have a long, sustained career in the NBA, that the goal is not to get him ready for this particular season. Well, that might not be the goal, but that should probably be a goal, (laughs) and it should probably be a pretty important goal. And at one point, we were you and I and Keith Pompey, our beat writer, and Sarah Todd, who's uh, another one of our Sixers writers, um, were discussing this on the walk back, that at one point, Colangelo, literally within a span of about 15 seconds, said that Embiid would be ready to play in the first day of training camp and ready to play in the first preseason game, but will be ready to deal with it, um, you know, no matter how much he plays or when he plays or if he plays at all. So he went from definitively saying that he was going to play, be ready to play at the start of training camp in the first preseason game, to saying he was not definitively ready for the first day of training camp in the first preseason game within the same sentence. It was amazing. Yeah, but, and if, so if all this sounds very confusing to you... It was. It was. Uh, so let, let's try to start with the very... I'm trying to think of this in the way that people 
so I can answer the questions that they have. Will Joel Embiid be ready for training camp? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. We don't even know what ready means necessarily. So he Joel could... Embiid has been playing. I mean, he's been playing. He's been doing. I was over there three months ago mm-hmm. um, before the draft, and he was he was you know doing some two man work. Um, seemed to be running at full speed. He's he... just not playing five on five right now. That's that's the number one big takeaway. He's not playing five on five. Right. But I I, I couldn't really read. It does not sound like this is something that the Sixers are concerned about necessarily, but it also doesn't sound like something they're not concerned yeah. about. You know? Yeah, um, it's it, it's really hard to read, and it's you know they've just hired um, this new I guess would you call him team doctor, uh, Doctor Daniel Medina, who's apparently very well regarded um, because let's face it, they've had issues over the last few years, not only with keeping players healthy, uh, Embiid among them. Um, but conveying that information to the media and in turn the fans. And as far as I can tell, that confusion continued today. There, Keith Pompey at one point asked Brian Colangelo point blank, how will you know when Joel Embiid is ready to play five on five, to participate fully in a practice, to take part in a preseason game and in a regular season game? And Colangelo really didn't have an answer. There was nothing he could he could point to and just kind of say, well, this is what we'll know. Now, maybe you can't know that, but he didn't even say that. He just kind of talked his way around the question, which, you know, given this team's history with kind of, you know, marble-mouthedness with respect to injuries, right. I think we have reason to be at least a little bit concerned. Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to know a lot more, obviously, once, once training camp actually starts. Um, you know, are they... Are they just managing him? Right. To, you know, is he on essentially a pitch count, so to say? So to speak. So to speak. Um, what do you think? I mean, what, what is your – what did you think about Joel B going into today's uh, – I thought we were going to hear – here's what I thought we were going to hear, that he has not played five on five yet, but he's ready to. Okay. And, and he's about yes. to. Yes, That's what I thought we were going to hear. And I was surprised – I wasn't necessarily surprised to hear – that he had not played five on five, I was surprised to hear that we don't know when that's going to happen. Right. So it, it, they definitely left it up in the air whether he will be full bore once training yeah. camp opens. Uh, I think the murkiness comes in. Is he not? Is that because this recovery is taking longer than expected? Mm-hmm. Um, is it because they're just being? And Clemson did say on a number of different occasions that this has been an. They're taking an ultra conservative approach yeah. to getting him back on the court, and they've got a long list of things that he needs to check off. You know, he's he's essentially still progressing through his right. rehab, I guess. Um, he just did not get into specifics about what they have not yet seen that has that has caused them to kind of right keep the brakes on. I mean, they uh, on the flip side, they didn't sound overly concerned that you know, like it, they they they. It they, was a really an odd stance. It was it was like odd. they were very very very. Uh, optimistic about this season and I think that you know Brett Brown was you know he's always optimistic about everything but like you know the way they talked you had to think Joel Embiid's definitely they're definitely anticipating Joel Embiid playing and one of the indications the the solid indications that they do believe he will play and will be fine is that Colangelo did acknowledge that he and Embiid and Embiid's people have been engaged mm-hmm. in discussions about a long-term contract, a long-term max contract. So presumably, if there were major cons- now maybe I'm misreading this, mm-hmm. 
maybe you know the discussions are, hey, he's not ready, and how can you possibly expect us to give him a max contract if it's taking him this long to get back? Uh, maybe that's happening, or maybe it's simply a matter of, hey, we're taking our time with this because we want to commit to him, we want him to commit to us, and therefore we want to make sure every T is crossed and I is dotted and his knees and feet are as strong as possible so that when we reach this agreement, everything's wonderful. But he also did say, you know, kind of pointedly, there there does need to be common ground yes. before an extension. You know, look, if the Sixers are going to enter into to a contract agreement with Joel Embiid, uh, you know, when they are allowed to a year ahead, of, a year ahead of time, there's got to be some give back on yes, the beats. There has to be. Um, there has to be. I wrote a column about this a couple months ago, um, not long after the draft. Otherwise, it just doesn't make sense. Right. I mean, if you're you if you're the Sixers, you can't take on all of that risk. Right. You just can't. And the other aspect too is, you know, Embiid outwardly has been very. Um, on board with the process, with what the Sixers are doing. He has become, it's not, it's wrong to say a cult hero, but he is very popular because of his social media reach. You know, clearly his talent. People want to mm. see him play. He seems to be committed to the city of Philadelphia. Beyond just his health, you know, raises the question of, okay, if you're that excited, are you going to take less money? Are you going to give back a little bit so that not only you are here, but other good players right. are here too? So um, that remains to be seen if he's willing to do that. Yes, and it. So, the, so the other angle that that had been floating out there heading into this thing was that uh, not playing five on five was partially Embiid's call mm-hmm. to, pres- to to you know right. preserve some leverage. Um, you know, I think the re- I don't know if it was a report. I'm trying to remember who. Uh, somebody was, somebody was said Mar- I'm tr- I, I don't th- maybe it was Mark Spears of ESPN I yeah. don't know somebody at yeah. some point had had reported one of the national guys I think yes. had reported that uh, Embiid not playing five on five was a function of him wanting a contract extension before yes he plays five on five um, you know the, guys don't just make stuff up generally speaking mm. I don't think um, but at the same time you know I don't know how I don't know how that could possibly be true. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, I mean, like the Sixers would. There's, there's no way the Sixers would no. give him a contract <laughs> exactly. before he, you know if it, that doesn't make any sense at all. It really doesn't. I um, think maybe you know. I think my, what might be the case is they're both going to wait until he's playing five on yeah. five to to really engage seriously in into any negotiations. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe his camp was trying to, you know, play hardball or something like that. But I, I mean, I suppose anything is possible. Um, you know, I think I, that that to me is the only answer that makes sense. That you wait until he gets back on the court, and so you know, if you're Embiid's camp, you can then say, if you're the Sixers, you can say, okay, he's back, and he does look like the player we hope he's going to be. If you're Embiid's camp, you can say, hey, I'm back on the court, and I'm the player you know I am, and so let's come to some kind of agreement here. And um, as- yeah, as I alluded to earlier, you know, we're 11 minutes into this thing now, and it probably you guys do not have any more clarity. No, about this we issue. don't either. <laughs> but I can assure you that, that the questions were asked, every possible incarnation of any possible question that, that you are currently having in your mind right now ha- was asked of Brian Colangelo. Yeah. And finally, even at the end, um, Dan, Gelson. Dan Gelson of the AP kind of doubled back and said, you know, why isn't he right. already? He you know, had our, the surgery in March. Right. Why isn't he ready? It's right. now September. It's six months later. Yeah, What's going on? I mean, this is like, I mean, meniscuses are usually, menisci are usually yeah. what, two to three months maybe? Usually. Um, 
you know, and he said that, you know, why isn't he out there and aren't you concerned? And and the answer was against a little more kind of gobbly, abstract gobbledygook about yeah. how, um, you know, I think Colangelo may have gotten a little bit tested. He, he was he definitely did. He was definitely tired of answering questions yes. about it. But he also, you know, didn't actually answer any of that, which is well, why they kept on getting questions. Right, which which was the interesting part. One, one of the interesting parts of the of the discussion was that it was the one topic where Brian Colangelo, I mean, Brett Brown, generally speaking, is right. an open book. You ask Brett a question, you get the answer, and it's usually 800 words, and it's detailed. Brian Colangelo's instinct is not to answer a question that way, and the topic of Joel Embiid's health over the 90 minutes that we sat down with him, those guys today, was the only topic where Brian Colangelo said, okay, that's it, we've addressed that, right. and we're not going to really discuss it much more or give you any more detail about that. Which is, again, that, you know, if you want to look for tea leaves to read, on the one hand, you could say they're engaging in long-term contract discussions with him, that that's a positive. You can also say they don't want to talk about his health. Right. Why wouldn't they want to talk about his well, health if it's if it's in everything's right. out the door? So, I mean, to kind of like like unpack this as, as concretely as we can, one would think that this is, there's some sort of medical thing that has not been cleared yet, yes. which is essentially what they said. He's, he's working through a progression, a rehab progression. They kept on deferring to, they, they, they essentially deferred to the doc, the new doctor that they just hired mm-hmm. and said it will be up to him when he gets back out on the court. Right. So this is not necessarily the, the, the organization uh, putting the brakes on it or Joel Embiid putting the brakes on it. This is like medically, he's just not, you know, they don't want him playing five on five yet. Now the question is, well, why, you know, why? Why? Uh, yeah. And that's the question that was not answered. And no. I think that from their, per- I would guess from their perspective is like, they, they might, they just don't know mm-hmm. either. Um, there was that bone bruise too, and I wonder if. Right. I mean, I don't know. I have no evidence of this. I'm. You. Who knows? Like you said, we don't know. Is there something with the bone bruise that has complicated matters? Right. As well, because um, as you said, a meniscus surgery is generally speaking something that a an athlete recovers from right. relatively quickly. Um, you know, and that's that's the big question with Embiid is is. You know, it's very easy to say, well, a meniscus tear doesn't have anything to do with the navicular bone right. in his right foot, which didn't have anything to do with the fracture, stress fracture in his back. But at some point, all of these injuries are happening on the right. same seven foot two, 275 to 290 pound human being. Yeah. And when it comes out to you wonder, I mean, human beings just aren't meant to be that big. Right. And I, moving that fast. And moving that fast. You know, I mean, you're. You know, we, we we all still have the same bones and joint. You know, ten, yeah. tendons aren't any stronger right. in in a seven foot three person than they are in a five foot eleven person. Right. Um, at least, not the way I know physiology. <laughs> I could be completely wrong about that. Well, see, I think we're worrying too much about all of this because based on what Brett and Brian said today about Ben Simmons, he practically yeah. has an S on his chest, and so and I don't. I only say that quasi facetiously. I mean, you had to have been there, and I know. You're going to write about this in your column today that'll be online probably tonight. Wednesday for Thursday, yeah. Um, and in the papers Thursday morning. Um, papers? What are... What are what, papers? Uh, I got you. Yeah. Um, we, still, we still publish those. Yeah, ones. we do. Uh, Brett, in particular, was incredibly high on where Ben Simmons is at. Ben Simmons is playing five-on-five. Five. He is, as Brian Colangelo put it, dominating the gym, which, I mean, I've seen the gym's game... You know, it's kind of stationary. You know, maybe Jim's really, one, the name of one of the assistants. Could coaches. be, yeah. <laughs> maybe he's dominating Jim as opposed to dominating the gym. Um, yeah. So it, it started with, uh, you know, Colangelo kind of volunteered the fact 
I mean, and he put it in his words, you know, Ben Simmons, someone essentially bridged, segued from Joel Embiid to Ben Simmons and said, is he healthy? And like, apparently it wasn't even a question in the Sixers mind. Like he's, yeah, he's been healthy. I mean, yeah. like Ben Simmons is not Joel Embiid. You right. know, Joel Embiid's got some serious like structural issues he has to worry about. Whereas Ben Simmons just came down on someone's foot and broke mm-hmm. his foot. And now he's back. You right. Know, like that's, uh, you know, there's no long-term concern there. Once it heals, it heals. Um, and then Brian Colangelo said, yeah, he's back. He's playing. And, and he's, quote, dominating the gym. Um, At one point, Brett, I wrote this down, um, said that Simmons has displayed uh, there's a vision here at six foot ten that he has and that TJ McConnell just does not have. Um, there are the skills there for him to be a, quote, unquote, elite passer. And according to Brett Brown, Simmons has breakaway speed that is jaw-dropping. And yeah, you compared bre- him to Usain Bolt. Yeah, that uh, that when the Sixers get a rebound, Brett says to Simmons, you know, Bolt, as in just get down the floor um, and someone will get you the ball and you'll be ahead of the pack. Yeah, it's, uh, another quote from Brown is uh, he said he's got a he's, – he's, he, quote, has a chance to be real gr- – he has a real chance to be great is what Brett Brown said. He said he already sees him being an elite defender the moment he steps on the court, an elite passer the moment he steps on the court. He said, don't expect Ben Simmons to come out there night one, knocking down three-point shots. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also sounds like he does, that might not be what he wants, he needs out of him. Um, no. It sounds like this is going to be, a, this is going to be, this is going to be Ben Simmons as Steve Nash um, in those, yes. you know, sons, you know, the Brian Colangelo Suns team. Yeah, it was it was interesting. One of the interesting things that Brett mentioned was that he feels Simmons has gotten to this point, but that they kind of had to train him mm. to naturally take a jump shot when he is given a jump shot. You know, if you watched, if you remember watching him, you know, a year and a half, almost, gosh, yeah, I guess a year and a half ago now, in the summer league before he broke his foot, he did not shoot well from the outside in those games, and he was hesitant to even take those shots and that they had to kind of coach him to say, look, you know, defenders are going to sag off of you and you need to be able to take and make a 15-foot jump shot, 15 to 20-foot jump shot without hesitation. Um, Brett also described Simmons as having, as being, I should say, an Australian grunt, which I found ethnocentric and triggering, <laughs> um, but he used but that phrase. You're also a snowflake. I am. I am. Um, so here's what Brett and he said Ben Simmons is is his point guard. Um, yeah, he said, I, "quote I I anticipate an open freestyle court that we play in once the ball is missed, and you sort of have jailbreak. Um, but when it's a static situation and you're going to run a play at the start of the season, Ben Simmons will have the ball." And then he goes on to say, "But to think that doesn't include Markell and in decision making and point guard type responsibilities, uh, essentially." To think that would be inaccurate. Yeah, um, but yeah, they 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 talked him look, up fierce. They and they've been you've gotten this you've gotten this um, sense from the Sixers over the last you know year that no one has seen. Remember, no one has seen Ben Simmons since right. those early days of summer league. Um, and frankly, you know, people barely saw him at LSU. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like they're privy to a player that they think. You know, like could could you you use the phrase in asking the question to Brett transformational, right? And it sound they are talking like he exactly. can be that kind of guy. And I think that like it's it's kind of puts an interesting spin then on, on the Embiid situation because it's almost like you could have two different teams. You know, where yeah. uh, I mean, if Ben Simmons put it this way, if Ben Simmons fulfills his physical 
ceiling or reaches his if he reaches the ceiling that he has due to his physical gifts um and just his his size speed uh fluidity kind of combination like they might not need Joel Embiid to be you know like that's you, like a you anticipated my my question that I was just going to ask you was do you think is it is is it too pie in the sky and too fan thinking to wonder if the reason part of the reason they may be taking their time with Embiid right. is that they're so confident that they've got something yeah. special in Simmons yeah I think that's 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 a very definite possibility um if there is such a thing you know Ben Simmons, I think, is is, I think they think Ben Simmons has every has a chance to be every bit the player, um, impact wise on the game that Joel Embiid was in the thirty one games yeah. that he was out there. Yeah, I, and I, I would agree. I think that I would not be surprised if they're thinking, you know, maybe Joel Embiid never does have, you know, a lot, maybe he's always on that minutes mm-hmm. restriction. Maybe he's always. I, I mean, somebody actually asked, I think Brian Colangelo, do you think? Embiid will always be a player who needs to be managed yeah. um, and on a pitch count, for lack of a better term. And, and you know, Colangelo did not say, no, absolutely not. That's he right. said, I hope not, essentially. Yeah. Um, but like like you said, I, I wonder if they are looking at this almost mentally as like, this is going to be the Ben Simmons Sixers, and we hope we get whatever we get out of Joel Embiid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's 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 something to be said for that. Um you know, which is interesting because they weren't, and they may have been this way anyway, but they they pretty much made no bones about the fact that Julie Okafor is not part of their future. Right. Um, you know. Th- yeah, I mean, they're, they're discussing it openly. Yeah. Which is they, weird. You never hear, you know. Right. I mean, Brett Brown essentially said, I'm going to treat Joel Embiid. He didn't essentially say it. He did say this. He said, I'm going to treat Julie Okafor as if he's mine, but Brian's going to be out there doing Looking for Brian opportunities. Does. Yeah. Essentially, <laughs> essentially, we're trying to trade this guy, but, yeah. you know, until then, you know, he'll he'll... He has a chance to prove to me that he's worthy of minutes. Right. It was, again, one of the interesting parts of the discussion was that Brett mentioned how committed the entire team, each individual player, has been to getting in shape, you know, shedding pounds, adding muscle, adding uh, cardiovascular endurance, all that sort of stuff. And he talked about Okafor having done that. Not that Okafor was in terrible shape, but I mean, I think we would all acknowledge he was not in the kind of conditioning that would allow him to go up and down the floor with you know, at, at a pace that could be called fast at the NBA level. Um, and I wonder if they had, a, had to have a conversation with him where they said, look, you want to be in a better situation. In a perfect world, we want to put you in a better situation. You can get to that better situation if you work your ass off and get in better shape and show everybody the player you can be. And then, you know, it makes it that much easier to trade you. I would prefer it if you use the term rear end. Um Gluteus Maximus? Glutes. Glutes. Brett Brown loves, like, (laughs) I love how much Brett Brown loves his players' bodies. (laughs) He said of Markel Fultz at one point. Everything comes back to these guys' glutes. He didn't just say about Markel Fultz. Robert Covington's glutes got discussed. Jaleel Okafor's glutes got discussed. It was, uh, what was was the quote? It was, uh, here's, here, come on. And he, like, says it, like, very passionately. Like, he's like, he's got, he's got, he gets his hands, he's just got these, these glutes. On Markel Fultz's physical strength, we address his glutes a lot. We address his glutes. Hello, glutes. Um, yes. I mean, glutes, besides besides being an awesome word, um, is something that Brett Brown has on his mind a lot. Baby got back. Yeah, he likes He likes, he likes uh, Markel's glutes, and he cannot lie. <laughs> Those other Those other first-round picks can't deny. He, 
they didn't talk as much about Fultz. They talked, you know, Brett talked a, a good bit about his personality. He likes the kid's personality. He's, uh, you know, kind of quiet but competitive on the floor. Wants to learn. You know, I, I think they were they were much more measured about Fultz, I think, than they were anybody else. Um, which is to be expected because he's he's so young. Yeah, and he's. I mean, let's be honest. He's just not the level of prospect right. that right. Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons are. Yeah. I mean, he's a good prospect, but he's not like. I mean, if you're going back over the years. And you were put it this way: if you were to have a redraft, um, you know, an all-encompassing redraft over the last, let's say, since uh, let's say the last six drafts, um, yeah, I, uh, let's say like ten years, okay? Because all right, like I think, like put it this way: like Kyrie, I think would be way above, yeah, um, Markel Fultz. Yes. John Wall would be way above Markel Fultz. Yes. Um, J- Carl Anthony Towns would be way above Carl, right. I'm, I'm Markel th- Fultz. I was just th- trying to think of guards. Oh, okay. More um, so. Um, like, I think Fultz, I think Fultz is like kind of... Simmons uh, would be way ahead of him. Britt Simmons would be way ahead of him. I'm kind of st- stalling for time here so I can go on basketball <laughs> reference and look at the past. Um, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of other guards that uh, have gone high in the draft. I mean, put lately. it this way. I mean, the, I always defer to a market-based mm-hmm. approach. And the fact is... In no other draft since 1986 or something like that, had a team with the number one overall pick said, "Well, I mean, except for the Cavs, right? Right? They traded Wiggins, but they yes. had LeBron James, right? But uh, uh, you know, at no other point had had a team said, you know what? There's this consensus number one pick who we don't want, yeah. So we're gonna trade it. And to me, like that speaks. And the know, one th- and the last time it was done, it was a mistake." Right, so I, I just think that like that, Pat Williams, if you're listening, I guess what I'm saying is like the Celtics. That you know, there's a reason why uh, the Cavs did not trade out of Kyrie Irving's spot. Right. You know, like yeah, like another team said, you know, we don't we don't think this guy is, you know, mm-hmm. that transformational. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Yep. Yep. Not Absolutely. that he's not a good prospect. He's he's. I just think that like on the on, you know on the spectrum. I don't know that Markel Fultz has that upside that necessary, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, certainly going into this draft, you know, and and uh, compared to other drafts, you, you, you're 100% right. That doesn't necessarily mean he's not going to turn into a superstar. It just means that the way he was regarded right now, you're right. It's not often you find a team willing to trade out of number one. I think he projects as a star, not a superstar, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, Although, didn't uh, wasn't there the Chris Webber, Pen- Penny Hardaway trade? Um, that was a one and a three. I'm I looking. think Let's in, in '92, the year the Sixers drafted Sean Bradley. Um, that was a flip flop, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, the Magic did trade Chris Webber, so '93. Uh, but again, like Chris Webber wasn't a superstar, you know. I mean, star, but he wasn't Shaq the year before. Yeah, he was a terrifically good player. He was not necessarily right. Transcending great. Whereas, like yeah. Ben Simmons has a chance to be transcending great. Carl Anthony Towns has a chance to be. Anthony Davis has a chance to be yes. really. Yeah. Blake Griffin had a chance to be real. Derrick Rose had a chance to be real. You know, like I don't. I don't know yeah. that. Um, I just don't know that that Marco Fultz is on. You know, mm-hmm. yet. It's a but. It sounds like they think that he could. Yeah. Absolutely develop into that, and um, they have enough depth at guard, too, where. You know, with J.J. Redick and presumably Jared Bayless, um, that you don't need Fultz to be the player he might yet become right away. Yeah, like I, I wouldn't be surprised if Marco Fultz isn't in the starting. I, mean, I wouldn't either. You know? No, I, I wouldn't mean, it either. sounds like they're definitely. They, they put it this way: they talk about Jared Bayless up whenever they can. <laughs> well, I, th- I, I think right now you have Redick at the two, 
Covington, Embiid, and Simmons. However you want to divvy up. Embiid at five. Right. So he said, so the way Brett Brown had it was Embiid would guard the five. He he said he thinks Ben Simmons will be guarding the four. Four. Uh, Covington Covington guards the the wing. um, Whoever the wing guy is. And then then obviously you have JJ and then. And then I would think right now Jared Bales. Right. um, Just because as they cited, you know, rookie backcourts, all rookie backcourts, you know, tend to get chewed up and spat out right. in this league. Um, so, you know, that it's not necessarily a bad thing. And in a way, you know, you'll have more raw talent coming off of your bench with Saric, Dario Saric, Fultz, um, you know, Amir Johnson as a regular part of the rotation, you know, Rashawn Holmes, right. um, TJ McConnell, Nick Stauskas. Poor Nick Stauskas was the one guy who I think who did not get mentioned at all today. Um, uh, actually, Burt Brown brought him up did once. He? Okay. Um, just to say that he can make plays in the open. I might have court. been uh, shoving a meatball into my mouth. <laughs> so Weber was so the Magic drafted Weber and then traded traded him, him right. And the same with who else did you mention? Uh, that was Wiggins. It. And Wiggins, Wiggins, yeah. Same, same, same thing happened. Um, yeah. So what else did you? What else? What else? Did, so forty two and a half right now is the over under for this team. Yeah, I think that's about. And honestly, it sounded like Brett Brown would take the over, and Jerry Colangelo or uh, Brian Colangelo, Brian Colangelo, Colangelo would, take the under. would take the under. Yeah, yeah. Colangelo said that. Uh, um, it's realistic to think they can make the playoffs. No, I thought he said it's not realistic to think they can make the playoffs, but the, yeah, but oh, they're still going to try. Try, yeah, okay, that's fair. And maybe fair. he's just like, you know, that's very general manager speak. Uh, maybe he feels the need to be the anchor on on because Brett Brown even said it. I'm not going to be the one to tamp down expectations for right, anybody. Right. Um, and I feel like Colangelo is wired a little differently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that's. I think it, they work well together in that sense. I think that. Yeah. You know, you want your coach to get these, get his young team to believe that right. anything is possible. Right. And I also think that Brett has coached such a young team. I mean, look, he his entire experience before coming to the Sixers was in San Antonio, uh, at least NBA wise, where that's a veteran team. That's Tim Duncan. That's Manu Ginobili. That's Tony Parker. You know, from their primes to the point where they're, what might be called aging, and even then they were you know, elite players who are contending for championships every year. I'm sure at some level, Brett is happy that, hey, I finally have a talented group that has been, at least some of them have been together a little bit. Um, and I think probably Colangelo is looking at it and saying, yeah, but um, look at the history of this league. You know, there are a few incredibly talented teams that compete for a championship every year. And those few teams that win, you know, yeah, they have great talent, but they also have veteran players. They have older guys. That's that's what tends to out in the playoffs. Um, and so I'm sure he's looking at that and saying, we're really young. And, you know, maybe we shouldn't expect to make the playoffs with a team this young, no matter how talented the group is. Do you expect them to make the playoffs? I kind of do. I think they're going to get to like a seventh or eighth seed. Yeah, I think I, I think so. Going I, going but going on what they see out of Ben Simmons in the gym. Yeah. Um, it sounds like. That, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, look, they're they're not at Boston's level, they're not even at Cleveland's level as long as LeBron is there and is at the level he is at. Um, the rest of the conference, I look at and I go, okay, yeah. like, not that they're going to be the three seed, but they're going to win some games against those teams in a way that they couldn't in the last four years. It's good. I, I think it, what they have going for them is it's, it sounds like they think they have at least, and again, there's you kind of have to discuss it with Embiid. Without Embiid, mm-hmm. let's let's even take Joel Embiid out. Let's let's assume Joel okay. Embiid. It kind of has a situation like last year. Where he plays thirty games, mm-hmm. and um, when he's not, when Joel Embiid is not on the court, they can still be. It sounds like they can still be an elite defensive team. Yeah. Um, 
you know, because you've got Simmons, you know, Simmons against the four. They, I mean, Brett Brown, you have to defer to him. I mean, he mm-hmm. knows he knows basketball. Uh, he's seen this guy play, and he said he thinks at the moment Ben Simmons gets on the court, he'll, he'll be an elite defensive player. Yeah, Covington obviously um, he's a is terrific a, defensive is an player. elite defensive player. Uh, and then you've got, you know, you've got guys who can defend the post. Mm-hmm. Holmes is an is an average to above average defender right. in uh, the post. Um, so like know. even then, even you know, while these guys are getting their offense into shape, they're gonna they're gonna be able to compete on yeah. a nightly basis. I think. A lot will come down on how they defend the one and the two. Yeah. Because you've definitely got some questions. I don't know what Jared Bayless's reputation is as a defender, but I would think if it was any good, he he would have gotten a little more than three years and $27 yeah. million. Dollars. <laughs> Probably. Um, J.J. Redick, I don't think. Is uh, not, he's, that's not why he's here. No. You could say. Um, so it comes down to Fultz. And, and you know, it's... Uh, I guess he's put on 15 pounds. It sounds like since yeah. since since Washington, he definitely had some baby fat. I, I'll be very interested to see his body. When, so will I. When, uh, so will I. He's one of those guys who you're going to look at, you know, three or four years from now, assuming this goes well, reasonably mm-hmm. well, and you're going to say, "Oh my God, look at him when he came into the league." Right. I mean, you know, I, I was having I had an interview last week with Ron Hextall, the general manager of the Flyers, and and he firmly believes that. You know, both from just a general population standpoint and from an athletic standpoint, the years between 18 and 22, and I think he's generally right, are the years of exponential growth, both from a maturity standpoint and a physical standpoint. That it's the rare, you know, the rare athlete who at 19 is really ready to handle the rigors. Forget athlete, man. I just saw a picture of me from 19. Yeah. It's like, like, (laughs) seriously. That's right. But that's my point is the general population, too. Like, man, I look young. Yeah. You do a lot of growing from like, nine to 18 but in some ways that 18 to 22 right. the growth is even greater we, uh, yeah i mean physically you know j- just becoming a man that's yeah just, like your body's still developing right you know um like i i grew i was five five a, gen- a generous 510 on my driver's license wow. um and i'm six one now Whew. i mean i grew th- i was like 150 pounds in high school they wow. called me smurphy you're kidding. That was my nickname. Smurfy. You're kidding. Yeah. What did you do? Did you HGH? Yeah. Okay. Um, Tom, Bra- I, I I followed Tom Brady's I, a lot of electrolytes. You went vegan. Chia seeds and electrolytes, baby. <laughs> did you read that his his diet? I haven't. I haven't. I, I know vaguely, you know, that he is eating like a, you know, kind of person I hate. <laughs> you know, yeah. Because um, I like pizza, damn it. No, but I like. I mean, I put on like thirty pounds and three inches in college. Did you really? Yeah. Wow. Was it, it wasn't good all thir- beer. What, uh, I was going to say, was it a good 30 or was it the freshman 15 and then the senior 15? No, it was more like, uh, yeah, it wasn't a good, it wasn't, it definitely was not a solid 30 pounds, okay. but it was more like, it was like natural. It wasn't like I got fat. Right. I like grew. Okay. You know, I just kept growing. Um, I mean, I'm not bit, I'm not like huge. No, but you're stretch, but you're, like, I'm not Smurfy. You're six one. They called me Smurfy. I'm five eight. I'm still impacted by that. Are you really? There's a little sm- there's a little smurf inside that cries <laughs> every night. <laughs> la, 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 So what else? I mean, did we miss anything? I don't think so. I think... Uh, Media day is Monday, and then training camp And then training camp starts Tuesday. Tuesday. Uh, Brett still loves um, TJ McConnell. Yeah. At one point asking, how can we not play TJ? <laughs> um, let's see. What else? I'll take, uh, I'll take questions Greg Popovich never asked himself yeah. for... <laughs> Um, both Colangelo and Brett said that they've never seen a level of competitiveness and desire amongst guys to be in the gym uh, as compared to this team. 
yeah, I think this is definitely a playoff team right now. Yeah, I think I think it is. Um, I mean, it's not saying much necessarily. I mean, they were almost. They, I mean, they they were almost a playoff team, relatively speaking. They would have made a push if Embiid stayed right. healthy. Right. Um, it was interesting that Brett at one point described. Uh, he was asked about JJ Redick, and he described Redick showing up at the Sixers practice facility in Camden at 12:01 a.m. Uh, a minute after free agency had begun. And Brett being there and Brian Colangelo being there and J.J. being there kind of dressed to the nines. And also there is Joel Embiid. And there's J.J. and there's Joel, like, walking through low post kick out at midnight uh, or a few minutes after midnight. And so that made for just kind of an interesting visual. Um, And, you know, Brett basically said that was one of the reasons – uh, JJ signed here, you know, in addition to the $23 million. Um, so, you know, anyway. Let me ask you this. Let's say the Sixers, let's say the Sixers only ran out of lineup this year. Like they're, they're heading into training camp. Their starting five was projected to be uh, Jared Bayless at the one, JJ Redick at the two, Robert Covington at the three, Dario Saric at the four, and Rashawn Holmes at the five. Like, so we have no Embiid and no Simmons. Right. Like let's just let's just say those guys. I guess the point I'm getting at is like, even before you count the three, kind of the triplets, mm-hmm. so to speak. Like, like they they have a competitive. Not that's that a representative. That, right. That's right. a representative NBA team. That's a non-tanking NBA team. Yes. Uh, not necessarily a playoff team, but like that's you know I mean you're, you're definitely missing your go-to scorer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I'm not gonna pretend this team would win 40 games or anything like that, but like. It yeah, would they, be better than the than the than the process Sixers. Sure, you know? and with and and you still have on the bench Amir Johnson and you know T.J. McConnell and right. Nick Stauskas and guys who have shown, you know, that they are legitimate, solid NBA players, not necessarily starters, but you know, good, solid role players. I mean, that's a better team than the one that was like winning games in February last year for yeah, the Sixers. Yeah, absolutely. You know? um, so then I, I think that's that's kind of the intriguing. That's why I say this is a playoff team. I think is because. Even you're you're starting with a foundation, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, that can compete without these guys, without without right. needing these guys to play a central role. And there are teams that make the playoffs and advance deep in the playoffs that don't have that. Like if you were to take away, like look at the Cleveland Cavaliers right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you take LeBron James away from that team. Are they, I mean, are they a playoff team with Kevin Love and J.R. Smith and Isaiah Thomas, presuming he's healthy, um, and Tristan Thompson? I guess they probably are, but they're not a 50-win team. No. You know, and they won 52 games last year with LeBron. Right. So, you know, I think, yeah, I mean, I think that's a good indication of how far the Sixers have come um, and the measure of depth that they have now. You know, where your backup center is not Henry Sims. Right. You know, um, if that makes sense. Oh, Henry. <laughs> have you ever had an O. Henry bar? Not in a long time. I'm more of a whatchamacallit guy. Whatchamacallit. God. Those were the days. Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, the point is that they're, they're a legit two deep. Yeah. Um, one through five. Yeah. You got Bayless and Fultz. We, didn't even, we haven't even factored in Okafor. We didn't mention Okafor, which well, don't we don't have to. I don't but think they're factoring. No, they're not factoring either. me either. You're right. Uh, well, who's your back? Who, who am I missing? Who, uh, Reddick. Uh, Reddick. Who's who's the backup two guy? Um, 
I'm still putting Stauskas. Simmons. I'm still putting Simmons at four. Okay. All right. So maybe they're not a legit too deep. Maybe they're ninety. Maybe they're four out of five. Maybe. Um, so you have Bayless and Fultz at the one. Reddick Stauskas at the two. Covington. Um, I guess you don't really have a. Then you have Simmons and Sarge at the four. And you have uh, Embiid and. Who's Home. the backup three man? Amir, jo- Amir Johnson's a four. Right? Yeah, Amir's a four. I guess Sarge is considered a three, too. A three as well. Well, I have him as my four. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Look, I, mean, I mean, it's good. It's it, the good part is the really good part is is that, and again, this is not a fan standpoint. It's more of a analyst coverage standpoint. Is that you know we went into last year and once Simmons got hurt, the allure of the season was what is Embiid going to look like? How mm-hmm. good is he really? You know what's what's he going to look like after two years of not playing? Um, you know because it was. It was fascinating to me heading into last season that Embiid, Embiid talked as if he were already a star <laughs> without having played an NBA game. Like he talked as if you know I've, I've been watching film and you know I I what don't is like he Grover. Yeah, <laughs> he's Cookie Monster. Um, you know I've been watching film and I don't like the college game uh, anymore. That might have been Elmo actually. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Um, and and he talked like a star and then he came out and played and he was a star he balled out he did yeah um and i think i think the thing like simmons but now there's more to fascinate us now it's okay what does it isn't be going to get on the floor and if he does what does he look like now what does simmons look like what does Fultz look like how does reddick fit into this offense here's the first pure shooter that this franchise really has had since kyle corver left um you know how do all these pieces assemble can brett coach you know talented players um that's that's going to be kind of the fun of it i think you don't think Swaggy P was a pure shooter? He was a pure something. I'm not sure he was a shooter. <laughs> Jay Rich. Um, I was just glad to see Doug Collins get a job with the Chicago Bulls because Doug Collins, as he will tell you after his team is lost, is a true winner. He ran through his sneakers. He was never booed in Philadelphia. And so you need to have people with that kind of self-regard um, and that kind of, um, uh, you know, Crucifix complex, I guess you'd say, in the league. I can um, see why Michael Jordan fired him. Oh, Michael Jordan ran roughshod over him. <laughs> um, I mean, let, let's face it. I mean, you know, he did that in Chicago, and then, you know, Jordan knew what he was doing when he went back to the Wizards with Doug Collins as the coach because he knew Doug Collins was going to do whatever Michael right. Jordan wanted him to do. You know, ask Rip Hamilton sometime and Jerry Stackhouse sometime about those two years with Doug Collins and Michael Jordan. So, so you, uh, you're you going to be at the Giants-Eagles game, correct? As are you. I am. What do you think about this team so far? Um, I think they have exceeded expectations. Yeah. I'm, a little, I'm a little puzzled by the um, wailing and moaning in the wake of the Kansas City loss. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I get the whole run-pass thing. It's, it's, it's almost become cliche, uh, you know, given all the years that Andy Reid was here and and then to a certain extent, Chip Kelly. I mean, he Chip did think that having Nick Foles throw 62 times against the Arizona Cardinals uh, one game was the best way to beat a playoff-caliber team in a close game. Um, but, look, their defense looks really good, I think. Um, and as I wrote about today, if Jim Schwartz really wants to be a head coach again, now is his chance because, you know, they're missing Ronald Darby, their best cornerback. They may or may not be missing Rodney McLeod and Jalen Watkins, you know, one of their two excellent safeties. And no matter what you think of the quality of his play, Watkins, he's a guy that they're running out there, and it's one right. fewer body that they have. Um, 
so if if they can hold up, you know, that that bodes pretty well. I mean, I've been impressed with the defense so far. I've not been impressed with the offensive line. Um, obviously not impressed with the running game, but as you pointed out if you know, in your column Sunday, nobody was expecting to be impressed by the running game. Right. Um, and I think the interesting part is whether Doug is doing what he just would be naturally inclined to do, i.e. have Carson Wentz throw the ball an awful lot mm. because Carson Wentz is a talented quarterback and we have Alshon Jeffrey and Zach Gertz and Torrey Smith, et cetera, et cetera, or if he would want to run the ball more and doesn't feel like he can. That's an interesting question to me. I think that's what it is. Yeah. You know, I think that I think he wants to run the ball, but if you're not gaining if you're if you're if every run leaves you in second and ten or second and twelve even, like why why bother running? Well that was interesting. Ruben Frank at CSNPhilly.com looked at the numbers in the KC Kansas City game and he pointed out that the Eagles actually averaged more yards on first down running the ball than they did throwing the ball. That that they were situate when they got in third and twelve, the, some of those situations were born out of sacks or you know, screen passes that, that ended up going nowhere. Um, you know, I, I didn't get this. Let me put it this way. I didn't get the sense from watching that game. Like, I didn't come away from it going, like, they should be running the ball and they're not. You know what I mean? Just yeah, from no, the I feel know. of the game, yeah. you know? I, I, I wasn't like, give me more LeGarrette Blunt. Right. That's my point, you know? yeah. Um, but I do think the flip side of that is watching Darren Sproles be productive as a runner in that offense, even in the small sample size, leads me to think that if they had better running backs, yeah, they absolutely. could run. They could run the ball. But see, like Darren Sproles is, you have to pass to set up Darren Sproles' runs, right? You know, right? I mean, those are passing formation that uh, he's he's running out of. Uh, I just don't think. Get, I think, I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that Isaac Salmalo just has not been very mm-hmm. good, and Jason Kelsey is no longer, no. you know, physically capable enough to help him. Yeah. Um, you know, I think Kelsey's. I don't know that Kelsey has been like Kelsey's kind of always been Kelsey. You know, he's always kind of been undersized. He's been he's been best when he's kind of helping out and getting the second level on the linebacker. Yeah, or, I, I heard know. John Ritchie um, make this point on WIP uh, in an interview. Actually, you know, he said everybody always notes that Kelsey's grading great at getting to the edge and the second level. And John says he's a center. Right. I want him blocking the guy that's yeah. right in front of him. Yeah. I don't want him getting, going to the edge. That's secondary compared to block the nose tackle. Right. You know. And I think that, like, you know, he. I mean, again, like you just think it's it's a numbers thing where you have four guys up front. You know, Kelsey's. You know, when you're the fifth guy, if, when Kelsey Kelsey is the fifth guy, I think you know that's when he 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 is at his best, and right. and that's when things work. But when you have Isaac Samalo next to you, you, you're no longer the fifth guy. You need to be the fourth. You know, you need yeah. to be the fourth best guy in that right. line. That's right. And you know, I, you know, there's been some other. You know, Lane Johnson hasn't had a great no. start to the. Uh, no. You know, he got. Uh, but also, you know, Carson Wentz. People kind of overlook this, but like he is very stationary in the pocket, um, which sounds weird because he doesn't make plays with his feet. But it's almost like. He's either he's either standing still or breaking pocket. There, you know, there, it's not he doesn't like there was a, there was a there, sack that Lane Johnson gave up. Yeah, that he he easily could have slid forward. Um, you know, it was it was one where he got his arm hit. Um, I don't know if he fumbled or not. It was early in the game, uh, but but uh, but yeah, like Carson Wentz just needs to naturally flow with the pocket, which he just he's not he's just hasn't played a lot of football and he doesn't have that yet. Th- there are times where it looks like he has decided before the play, I am staying in the pocket right. on this play. 
the the interception he threw week one against the Redskins that Kerrigan took for the touchdown. Right. That, it was that kind of play. He, for a full second, was flat-footed in the pocket. Right, he's just rooted there. Yeah. Where he needs to like be constantly... If you watch... you know, Even watch Kirk Cousins. Yeah. Or, or, you know, Aaron Rodgers, you know, Rodgers, Matt Ryan. Right. The guys you know, who played guys for a long played time. quarterback. Um, you know... I, I, and I guess the question is like so Ben. Ro- I think Ben is Ben Roethlisberger has always been the best comparison mm-hmm. for him because Ben doesn't necessarily have a ton of that, you know. He, right, and he was oh he roots very, himself there too, right. yeah. Um, so I, I guess what I'm saying is that's just kind of who he's going to be. Like I, I think that like he's not he this guy. I don't think Carson Wentz is going to develop into Aaron Rodgers necessarily. No, know? no, uh, and and that. But that, I think he doesn't need to necessarily. Right, and that that is another interesting question because. The Steelers, to my knowledge, correct me if I'm wrong, have never tried to implement the West Coast offense. It's never right. been something they've tried to do. It has been power running and, generally speaking, take shots down the field because right. we've got a six six big-armed quarterback who can extend a play, you know, and he can roll to his right and th- you know throw it 40 yards downfield, 50 yards downfield. But the Eagles don't run that kind of right. offense, you know. They, not only don't they run that kind of offense, you know, they couldn't even right now if they wanted right. to. They don't have the kind of personnel to do it. Yeah, it's funny because I was I was actually going to write that exact same thing last week. I ended up running. I think I ended up writing about the, focusing on the running game specifically. But but like the, there's a, there's a question like is Doug Peterson's offense is the Andy Reid offense really does that really play? Does that optimize Carson Wentz's strength? Right. You know, um, and it may, it's a question you might have to consider you know moving forward because you're going to be building this team to fit a system and and mm-hmm. the sealer system is a lot different from the eagle system and the type of personnel that it requires you know i just think that like carson wentz his strength is not short five yard timing right. passes you know it's you know drop back you know yeah run. drop back see a guy running a deep out 17 and yards he's great down off the field play action but you got to be able to run power to to mm-hmm. to, to you know, optimize his play action. Right. You know? Right. So it, I, I agree. It's, you know, uh, it's going to be interesting. I, in a way, you know, I know, you know, look, Jeffrey Lurie loves offensive coaches. He hired Andy Reid. Mm-hmm. He hired Chip Kelly. He hired Doug Peterson, none of whom made their bones in any regard, you know, as a defensive guru in any right. respect. But the kind of offense that the Steelers run, I, I'm inclined to agree with you, is the kind that would benefit Wentz most. Right. And it's the kind of offense, honestly, that a team that is focused on defense right. would want to run. Well, it's, and if you look at some of the quarterbacks that have the young quarterbacks that have had success, it's the kind of offense that the Seahawks ran, run. Right. It's the kind of offense that the Cowboys run. Just a very, very, I don't want to say basic, but just everything flows off the power running. Right. You know, and it's partially why the Seahawks haven't been able to score points here lately because mm-hmm. they they don't necessarily have the power running yeah. game because it takes an offensive line. W- one thing I wanted to ask you: this isn't necessarily a Philadelphia specific thing, but there's been a lot of um debate and scuttlebutt I've seen on social media and throughout, you know, writers and bloggers who cover the NFL about whether the NFL is as entertaining uh-huh. as it once was. There was a big piece, uh, by actually a friend of mine, Kevin Clark, uh, on the ringer.com, right. you know, Mike Lombardi's website, <laughs> um, about how fil- football nowadays just isn't as aesthetically pleasing that you watch a game like the Bengals Texans game last Thursday night and it's 13-9, and it's ugly, and everybody goes, well, that's just another ugly NFL game, as opposed to like having that be an outlier for how bad it was. Do you think there's any validity to that? Uh, you know, I haven't... I, I've seen the same speculation. Uh, and my initial reaction is that we're way misremembering the past. Yeah, I think... Um, <laughs> and I think that, frankly, what you have is, like, those Thursday night games would never have seen the light of day in mm-hmm. the past, whereas now these th- there's just more games than ever on... on on television, yeah. I mean, you used to have Monday night was your marquee matchup, and then you had two 
uh, you know, you had two prime. I mean, that that Falcons Packers game, you know, was a f- entertaining game in the first half. Yeah. Until until you know, I mean, those would be you would get two of those games, and 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 that's it. I you know, you would never see the Jaguars and the right. um not 49ers play mm-hmm. or the the what is this week it's almost like the nfl is as like it's like an experiment to see what people will still watch yeah on Thursday night. <laughs> like there's, it's like they're almost daring you it is to watch something besides football it's rams <laughs> niners uh last week it was the uh it was the texans and sunday night even this week i think is is colts yeah. uh Packers. I love that B-side football. It's like the Thursday night game is the why don't we do it in the road right. of <laughs> But I mean like so I I remember one one of the things I remember vividly from my my, uh, my, my might have been in middle school. Um there was a Sports Illustrated I would always in our library in, in high school they would go back and read the, the SI. magazine yeah. rack and I would I would you know get the, the and there was one where there was like a Jets it might have been I don't know if it was Boomer Siason or Dan O'Brien but a Jets quarterback like Neil Ken O'Brien Ken O'Brien um and the headline was uh, 10 ways to revive a boring league or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, I, I, don't I think th- this is a cyclical thing. I think yeah. the players are as good. Uh, the players just keep on getting better, faster, mm-hmm. stronger. Um, yeah. I think we're mis- I think, I think the entertaining games are probably more entertaining now than they used to be. Yeah. I do think the one, um, and I forget where I heard this, um, but it was an interesting point was that the one place where the NFL isn't as exciting as it once was is in the de-emphasization of the running back. Yeah. That, you know, one of the great... Look look how many NFL films, highlight reels, right. are devoted to Barry Sanders, Walter Payton, Jim Brown creating instant urban renewal, you know, just tacklers falling to the ground, mm-hmm. Gale Sayers, that kind of thing. That the emphasis on throwing the ball and the disposability of running backs has taken away some of the flash and grace. Yeah, but like that Chiefs-Eagles game was very fun to watch it was. it was a fun game to watch and kareem hunt you know like andy Reid is a brilliant play caller he, really He's, he runs a great offense that you know i think it, i think the cowboys were even fun ezekiel Elliott was a fun player mm-hmm. to watch last year yeah. um the falcons i think are a great team the, to ta- watch. the falcons are a fun team to watch i really because they do something similar to what we were talking about with the with the steelers they didn't do it quite to the same right. degree but they are a lot of power running a lot of seven to eight step drops for Matt Ryan, mm-hmm. and there's Julio Jones twenty five yep. yards downfield, and Ryan throwing it on a rope to him. Yeah, and I think that's I think like some of the underneath guys aren't like I understand why people don't think Sam Bradford's fun to watch mm-hmm. necessarily. Um, although again, that he was fun to watch. He that was fun one, to watch that week nights, one game you know, two yeah. weeks ago. Um, yeah, I think just people we we are more exposed to the yes. crappy quarterback play. Um, yeah, I I think there's a lot of truth in that. I do. I think people forget that. I think you know. It's it's just funny. I think I think people forget how much is available to right. us now, and they they kind of mythologize not mythologize, but they forget how transformative and informative like one moment could be right. years ago. Like uh, the 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 example I always think of in this regard is in 1984 during the baseball season, Ryan Sandberg won the MVP award for the Cubs. Okay, now Ryan Sandberg had a terrific season if you look at his numbers. You know, really good season. <clears throat> but the reason he won the MVP award, I always maintain, was that he, ha- there was one, it was back when NBC had the game of the week on right. every Saturday afternoon. And there was a game in, at Wrigley against the Cardinals where Sandberg twice against Bruce Souter tied the game with bottom of, the, like he homered in the bottom of the ninth to tie the game and send it to extra innings. And then two innings later, Souter was still in the game when he was the, the top right. closer in baseball. And the Cardinals had taken the lead 
and Sandberg homered again to tie the game off yeah. Suter again. And it was this huge kind of cultural thing for everybody who loved baseball. The whole nation saw it. And so the Cubs win the pennant, win the division, and Ryan Sandberg right. becomes the MVP. That doesn't happen now. No. Like, we see Kevin Durant have a great game in the finals, and it's like, well, big deal. I saw yeah. so-and-so do this in the, in the conference finals, or this guy do in the second round. What's the big deal? I also think, I do think, if you were to ask me, I think college football sucks. Like, I think college football is a miserable product to watch. I, I find it very hard to watch. Um, I, I really do. I know it's more open I don't now, yeah. like, and I know there's scoring and all this stuff, and, you know. I mean, you don't want to. Like, it's just so long. Oh, it's so long. It's so, so many commer- long. It's just, it's so long. So many commercials. And, like, it's just, the, the, I don't understand when people complain about the NFL just because it's such a better game to watch than college football. Yeah. I mean, like, I think, I think, I mean, there's, there's all, all types of reasons why starting with like the diffusion of talent you mm-hmm. know i think that like um yeah the great teams aren't like, as great as they once right, were because kids kids want to go where they're going to play right you know and and it makes sense because you can't make the nfl if you're not going to play right um and you can be on tv in the mac just as well as you can be on tv uh you know in the bit in the big 10 now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah it's just i mean and a lot of it comes down to quarterback play. Like, yeah. I mean, for Christ's sake, are you telling me Matt McGloin is one of like the ninety-six best quarterbacks <laughs> in in the freaking free world? Yeah. Like, like that's and, and look how bad he is, and Chase Daniel is. Yeah. Uh, no offense to the McGloins, but like, let's be honest. Uh, and then now think about the guys in college. Right. You know, like it's just you're watching guys who can't even. Yeah. It's just fundamental. It's fundamentally the game is so much slower. It's yeah. So much, you know. Like, look, one of the most vanilla. exciting. One of the most exciting like, players in college football right now is Trace McSorley. Right. Trace McSorley, when I watch him on TV, looks like me trying right. to play <laughs> co- college football quarterback. It, and even like Alabama's not fun to watch because they just like roll over everybody. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it's I don't know. Anyway, we gotta go because we it's do. Like we're I gotta write and um, the Eagles have claimed safety Trey Elston off of waivers. Oh, that changes everything. So we got to do a whole new podcast. We're gonna have to. Yeah, we're gonna have to. Let's just start from the beginning. All right. That's it.